Welcome to the Sports Deli for Dr. J and Coach K. This is Hootie Hoot. This is a special edition with ESPN's college basketball analyst, Jay Billis. Jay is joining us from his home in North Carolina, where he is an ESPN and CBS college basketball analyst. And you can find him on Twitter at J-A-Y-B-I-L-A-S, at Jay Billis, or on Instagram at Real Deal J Billis. If you want to email the podcast, you can do so at the sports deli at gmail.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Mike Hootner or on Twitter at Michael Hootner. Jay was a former player and coach for Coach K at Duke. Mike Shashevsky. He's a practicing attorney in North Carolina. He loves golf and Tiger Woods. He's an author of the book Toughness, which are the stories told about perseverance, getting knocked down, and getting back up, and continuing to plug away when things get difficult. He came to Duke as a top 50 recruit from Rolling Hills High School in Southern California. He was an All-American, and he was a four-year starter for Coach K at Duke, and he helped Duke reached the Final Four in 1986, and after he served as an assistant, and while he was getting his law degree, he decided to transition to the broadcast booth for ESPN in 1995, and he's been doing it ever since, and he's one of the most trusted voices in not only college basketball, but in all of college sports, and we're so lucky to have him on the podcast today to talk about a number of different issues from the racial reckoning to the state of college basketball to what happened when he went back to his high school reunion, his feelings about Len Bias and what happened in the aftermath, who will be the number one pick this year in the NBA draft, his answers to our very famous this or that segment, and much, much more. In the Sports Deli, special edition with ESPN's Jay Billis. We really appreciate you being on the show with us. Yeah, it's my uh, pleasure. We don't know why you're on the show with us, but we really appreciate it. Nevertheless, uh, I had a really interesting thought. Is there anybody who doesn't like Jay Billis? I mean, everybody I talked to was super excited that you were going to be on the show. I mean, you do seem like you have quite quite a following. Now, we... we um, Having listened to a lot of the feedback, um, uh, I noticed that you and I have a couple things in common. Uh, one, I need to thank you for because uh, I was digging through some old letters. I've got a, a couple of files of from 1991-ish when I was trying to get college jobs. And this one that I pulled up uh, says, Gordon J. Billis, who played for me and graduated in 1986, is in his second year of being our graduate assistant. I would have no opening for that position since he will resume the same duties for the 91-92 season. So, so Jay, I, 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 you know, I've had, I've had not as, as stellar uh, a career with basketball, but I've had a passionate one, and I wouldn't know these two guys uh, if I hadn't gotten four or 500 rejection letters like that. That one, obviously, from the real Coach K um, back in, in the 90s. And then I realized that you and I have both been interviewed by Dan Dickow. So I, I watched your interview with Dan. 
which was 30 or 40 minutes long, and uh, I really enjoyed that. You must do this quite a bit. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, the fact that, uh, that you were rejected in favor of me is uh, <laughs> a, a, about as huge an insult as Coach K could have given you. <laughs> that shows how lowly that position was that I was chosen over you. Uh, I don't know, maybe Carrot Top finished third in that one. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I do, I do stuff like this uh, uh, fairly often, and it's not just a COVID thing. I mean, uh, one of the things that, um, that I've tried to do over the years, like it seems like everybody on the planet has my cell phone number, and my thing for radio shows or podcasts or whatever has been, uh, if you call and I've got the time, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Um, if I can't do it, I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, but uh, if I've got the time, I don't see why I wouldn't do it. It's always it's always good to you know talk to friends and people who share a, a passion for basketball uh, or anything. I mean, I, I just sort of enjoy interacting with people. So this is never a burden. It's always fun. Now, were you were you on the bench in Cameron when Bobby Hurley broke the assists record? Uh, against Maryland? Well, that was probably his senior year. So my three years as an assistant at Duke were uh, Bobby's freshman year, uh, uh, 1990, mm. and then 91 and 92. So my three years as, an, as a grad assistant there, uh, Duke played in the NCAA championship game every single year. And so when I left there, I kind of, the program really went to the toilet after that. It's really sad. Um, but, you know, I, Coach K has been begging me to come back ever since, but I've, I've kind of given him the Heisman on that. Uh, you probably already have your hands full. You, you juggle quite a few things. Um, you're, you're still active in your, in your law practice. We, um, we interviewed uh, Craig Eshrick a few weeks ago, um, talked sort of about how – um, he he got his JD at Georgetown, and what kind of happened after that that kind of moved him back into coaching? You 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 went into you played overseas. You, you did you you came back. You were on the bench. You got your 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 law degree. What were your thoughts around that period about how you were gonna like wield your your newfound degree in terms of a career direction? You know, it's funny. It's an interesting question. Like I had planned on playing eight or 10 years overseas in Italy and uh, Coach K had called me and had an opening on his staff and I had applied to law school uh, at Duke and a couple other places, but it was primarily to see if I could get in so I could defer it. And then if I got hurt or something happened, you know, I got cut or something overseas, I could just, you know, kind of seamlessly go into law school. And, uh, you know, Coach K had, had called and said, hey, I've got an opening on my staff for grad assistant. Uh, if, if, if you were to take this, would you, would you accept, a, you know, sort of your law school? Would you do law school and that at the same time? Would you be willing to do that? And I was, I'd never thought about it. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And, but at, at first I told them that I, I, you know, I'd planned on playing overseas, you know, for longer and because I was making a lot of money, I was kind of enjoying it. Like I was a role player in college on a great team. And, and in Italy, I was a star player. So it was kind of fun. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, that's great. I understand. But he said, I just don't know if this is going to come around for you again, which is kind of like, you know, you better take this now because I'm not going <laughs> to offer this again. So I took it and, uh, and went to law school at the same time. But I really didn't have uh, sort of this uh, dream of being a lawyer it was just, I, I thought the education is actually my dad that, that sort of encouraged me to go to law school and thought the education would be a really good thing. And being a lawyer, uh, whether you practiced or not, wasn't important to him. It was just sort of the idea of the education. You could always handle yourself. And, you know, if things ever got tough, you could, you could hang a shingle out and make a living. And 
but you know, I got married at the end of uh, uh, my third year as a, as a grad assistant when I graduated law school. And uh, my wife and I just kind of decided that, that coaching might not be the best thing for, for us. It, would, it might be the best thing for me, but it might not be the best thing for us and for, a, for our family. So I thought, well, you know, I can practice law. I don't, need to, I don't need to be a coach. I want to be, but I don't need to be. And what my wife wanted was important to me. So, uh, you know, I started practicing law and, and the, broadca the broadcast thing came out of, you know, sort of from that. You know, I had no, no intention of doing anything but being a, a really good lawyer when I started with my law firm. My, uh, I'm with a big firm called Moore and Van Allen. And, you know, oddly enough, I got a phone call from the president of the Capital Sports Network who asked me, hey, you know, would you be interested in doing radio uh, color commentary? And I, I thought, well, why not? You know, it'd be great. Um, I made no money. I mean, it was it was like a money loser. But I thought it'd be fun. And if I don't like it or if it negatively impacts my law practice, I'll quit. And I did like it. And uh I, I, I wound up getting some, you know, some sort of notoriety from it. And then ESPN started offering me games. And then after that, one thing led to another. And I sort of stepped aside from law, even though I'm still with my firm, I don't practice like I carried a, a big caseload in the day back in the day, but I don't anymore. So now I'm a full-time broadcaster, kind of part-time lawyer. Yeah. Hey Jay. Um, thanks again for being here. I have a question. You mentioned your wife and, you know, you've spoken uh, publicly about her and your admiration for her and how strong of a person she is. And during the pandemic, I know for you and for a lot of us, it's been a time of reflection. You know, you talked about your experience uh, a number of times uh, since uh, you started speaking during the pandemic about your, uh, your reunion. And for those of the people listening that haven't heard that story and what your wife said on the way home, uh, I just it was inspiring and uh, we had similar experiences where we first started our coaching career where we didn't really uh, where we weren't in alignment with the head coaches philosophies and, and methods and but yet we all stayed in touch there's about 30 of us over about a four-year period we all stay in touch and I don't know if it was in spite of him or because of him but if you wanted to share that with everyone I would I'd love to hear it yeah, it, it, it's a story I told at a uh, USA basketball clinic when I was trying to get the point across to, to coaches that, you know, if, if they thought that their role was mostly about winning and losing or X's and O's, um, I think that was a mistake. And, you know, so I, I used to start off like the, that kind of clinic talk by, by saying that I think most coaches, especially in high school, would, would tend to agree, or at least everybody says, that only two or three percent of high school players go on and play in college. And, and I was saying, well, if, if really that, those are the numbers, uh, we're dealing with a very small subset, well, is, isn't really the job to make sure that the experience for everyone is a really good one. And, uh, and you know, the, the coaches, I, I remember everything my coaches said to me, you know, whether I played baseball, basketball, whatever, uh, whether it was high school, you know, uh, when I was in Little League or college, whatever, I remember everything my coaches said, because that was the most important thing in the world to me at that time. And so probably about five or six years ago now, um, you know, my wife and I go out to California where I grew up every summer to get out of the heat of, of North Carolina during July and August. And, 
we were out there and, and my high school teammates and I all got together and we had kind of a, a high school reunion of our basketball team. And I played, I was lucky. I played on a really good team where a number of guys went on and played division one basketball. And, you know, we got together as a bunch of old men talking about how great they were when they were 17 or 18 and, uh, you know, sharing, swapping stories and everything. It was really fun, but, you know, most of us brought our wives with us. And, uh, and so I was really grateful to my wife for kind of enduring that because it couldn't have been any fun for her. And so on the way back to where we were in the house we were renting, I, I you know, I just wanted to say thanks that, that I really appreciate you putting up with that. And she said, no, I, I had a good time. It was really fun. And, and so I kind of picked her brain. I said, what, you know, what stood out to you? Uh, you know, and she said, well, I was really impressed with how close you guys still are and what good friends you are and how, you know, kind of how we genuinely cared about one another. And then she, then the second thing she said was, and you all need extensive therapy because your high school coach scarred you. And I was like, what are you talking about? She says, do you realize how much you talked about, you know, how difficult he was and, and the things that he did that, that, you know, he says, you guys are all in your fifties. And, and that was like the dominant theme. And, uh, and look, he was, you don't want to talk. It, it, I, I never tell this story to bag on him because I don't think what he did was intentional. Uh, I mean, the, the things he did was intentional, but he wasn't trying to intentionally be hurtful. But, but the things that, that, that were done there were not right. And, uh, and they were scarring. And for me and a few other, my teammates, we got to go on and play in college and we, we all played for really good coaches and, had great experiences. So that our high school experience wasn't our last organized basketball experience. and wasn't the dominant one, but for the majority of our teammates, that was it. And, uh, and it's really kind of a shame. And so I, I always ask coaches uh, at, at these, when I talk about this at a clinic, if I happen to bring it up is, you know, how do you want to be remembered by your players? And, you know, if they do have a reunion, do you want to be invited to it? Because none, none of us thought, and it wasn't a sinister thing, and we're trying to be hurtful, but not one of us thought about calling our old coach. Not one. And he's since passed away, and, and so we can't do it now. But, but none of us did. And so I think it was, um, you know, it's just sort of a learning experience for all of us. I've, I've always tried to, to ask coaches that, um, look, everybody wants to win and everybody wants to drive people to be their best. And it's important. I'm not suggesting it's not. And I'm not suggesting you can't challenge your players. But there's a line there. And, uh, and I don't think, you know, we didn't get together and talk about our out-of-bounds plays or what we ran after timeouts or, or, you know, geez, I can't believe we, you know, we didn't do this at the end of the game against Lakewood in the, uh, in the state championship. Um, it was basically about how we were treated. And, uh, and that's important. And, you know, you kind of want to, that should be a baseline that everybody should be able to agree upon. And uh, so that, that's sort of what that was all about. And, and the only thing, honestly, I appreciate you asking about that because I get to say this too. The, 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 the only thing I, I have a little bit of reticence in talking about it is, um, you know, this was 40 years ago now or whatever it is. And, and, you know, like our coach made a lot of mistakes and it was not a good thing. And I, I didn't condone it at the time. I didn't care for him. And as soon as I left there, I never cared if I saw him again, ever. And, and every one of my teammates felt the same. Not one of us kept in touch with him. And, and we had damn good reason for not. And that's sad. But, 
but it is sad. And that's why I tell the story. But um, I don't want to make it seem like, like he was this monster that he wasn't. He was, a, he was a good person that was in over his head and did not handle things the right way. But he was still had a family that loved him. And he was, I think he was a good man absent that. But he just didn't, he didn't know what he was doing. And, and as a result, he, uh, uh, he acted in a way that, that I think if, if he could have been better educated about it, would have done a better job. Because I, I don't think he was a bad person. I appreciate you clarifying that because I hadn't heard that part of the story before that you, you know, shared with us at the end. This is the Sports Deli Podcast, and you are listening to a special edition interview with ESPN's Jay Billis, and now back to the interview. Now, having talked about that, uh, conversely, you know, uh, being around Coach K for so long, uh, and John alerted me to this, that seven guys on that 86 team are, were either head coaches, assistant coaches, or in front office positions, and that's the other side of it, where you have someone like Coach K, who his influence is, I mean, you know, I can't even comment on, you know, the, the impact that he's had in, uh, across, you know, domestic lines internationally at home with the most famous players that have ever played the game with you. So talk a little bit about his impact in, in your life, not just being an assistant coach, but even now. Well, it's been profound. And one of the great things for me, I'm 56 years old now. And so from the time I was 18, um, I've known Coach K. And, you know, he's, he's been my coach for all this time. And, and you know, I, there have been classes of, of players. You know, I, I was in the class of 1986. There have been classes that he's recruited. He's at, we were a number one ranked recruiting class, and he's had others of those that were probably way better than us. And, but, but I wouldn't trade our experience for any, any experience of a player, any four years any player has ever had for him. One, we've, we've had a relationship with him for longer than anybody, which is kind of amazing, really, that, that our coach is still coaching where we played at our age. It's really kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Uh, and then we've also like when when I played for him, he was in his mid 30s, like he was really young. He, like my first NCAA tournament game as a player was his first as a coach and uh, kind of amazing when you think about it that way. But, you know, I, I, I've been able to watch him mature into, you know, I think the greatest coach ever. Um, but, you know, when we played for him, you know, the, the first practice we had, we weren't saying, okay, well, let's do our best because we're playing for the greatest coach ever. We trusted him, I think, because of who he was and what he represented to us. And, but it was a gut feeling that he was, he was the best one for us. Um, there was really no record behind it. So I, I think we're all kind of proud of that. Um, he's probably not as proud that he recruited us as we are that we said yes to him. But um, hey, Jay, can you, can you call him, can you call him Mike now or do you still call him coach? That's, that's a great question. I've never called him Mike. Um, and I've always called him Coach K from the first day. And I don't think I'll, I'd ever be able to, even though like now, uh, like he likes to say all the time that we're, you know, now we, we've gone from coach player to friends. And I think that's true. Um, I don't want to diminish that, but there's always a, there's always something about, you know, sort of your coach that's different. 
And uh, especially in that kind of that kind of setting or environment, I'll never be able to call him Mike ever. And and obviously he's on a he's in a position that is loftier than anything that any of us could ever ever aspire to. But at the same time, he he is a regular guy, and he's always been a regular guy with us. He's never sort of been like, hey, you know, I'm Coach K, and uh, getting off a private plane and having a red carpet. He's never been like that with us. But but uh, but whether he whether he became Coach K, the winningest coach of all time, or he was Coach K, a guy who banged around in the game for you know thirty years or whatever and had had good success, he he he'd always be my coach. Does that make sense? I mean, it does. There, there's there's a there's just a I don't know what do you call it a line or there's just a, a level of respect. Like it's like calling your like. I wouldn't call my dad by his first name. Uh, I, right. I, I wouldn't call Coach K Mike. I just couldn't do it. I was um, really moved, Jay, and, and still am. You know, there's those, there's, there's all those moments that you kind of keep track of. You and I are very close in age. Uh, I think maybe we're two months apart. Um, and there are moments for me in, in movies that I know will, will create emotional uh, release for me. I'll, I'll weep or cry or, or at least get close. His induction into the Basketball Hall of Fame is one of those moments when he came. I don't know if you were there in the building during. I was that, there, yeah. When he came on stage, and you know, I'm I'm an IU grad, so I, I have a I have a thing about Coach Knight, but I, I feel like it's tempered. But I, I was incredibly moved when he got on stage and said, you know, thank you, Coach, and you're the only guy I've ever called Coach, and um, you know, to to be able to do that and and um, a level of humility you don't really see very often in the industry. Yeah, and humility is a good term for Coach K because I think he um, he's got a great sense for other people, and and he he he's got a great feel for other people. So look, he knows he's really good at what he does, uh, and so he's obviously very confident in, in what in, in his ability. But uh, you get him away from basketball, especially you know, and you've seen him in these settings during the summer when you know he's not. He calls I think he calls it battle mode during the season. I'm in battle mode. Um, but where he's like uh, singular in focus, but you get him during the summer and, uh, and you, you wouldn't be able to tell that he was, he was the best at what he did or that he was even good because he, he's, he's, uh, just a regular Joe. And I mean that in the best possible way. Like he, he, he's very thoughtful, um, still writes thank you notes. Like every year we get, uh, you know, he sends a handwritten birthday card to all of us. Wow. Um, you know, it's kind of extraordinary, really. Like he's old school in that regard. Uh, and he's got, he's got a million things on his plate and still manages to do all that stuff. So I, I've always been sort of really impressed by that. You're listening to the Sports Deli Special Edition with ESPN's college basketball analyst, Jay Billis. And now Jay will discuss Lenny Bias from Maryland and the aftermath of what happened as a result of his cocaine overdose in the sports deli. Jay, I want to take you back, unless, unless the guys interrupt me, I, w- I want to take you back to 1986 for a minute, to, to mid-June. Um, you talked a little bit about the playing experience. Part of that playing experience, obviously, is the intersection with Len Bias. Um, you talked to Reese Davis, I think, in, in during the, the show in June. There was a thing that you posted on your Twitter account recently that I, I had a chance to look at. And your comments, I was surprised to see you wearing a, a bright red Maryland shirt for that interview. But but we're, we're all really closely tied to Maryland. And um, we all, I think, have the appreciation 
for, for Lynn Bias. Um, but you said something interesting in, in one of your interviews. I think it was the one with Reese Davis. You said something, and if I mischaracterize it, Jay, please um, stop me and, and reframe it. Um, you, you had disagreed that what came out of his, his death was great, you, and you had made some comments about Congress sort of rushing off to pass some drug legislation that um, didn't really maybe sit well in um, communities of color. Um, am, am I characterizing that fairly? Yes. Um, yeah. And it was basically, I, I think the, I don't know what, what the right term is cliche or, or what, but uh, when there's a death like Len Bias's, and there have been very few like that, but, but, but many, many drug overdose deaths, because you'll remember right after Len Bias died of that drug overdose, uh, Don Rogers, the uh, former UCLA uh, defensive back, uh, um, Seattle Seahawks cornerback died of, of the same thing. Just a, it might have been just two or three days later. Um, I think the cliche is, well, that saved a lot of lives. You know, the idea that that scared off people from from drugs or something like that. And I, I, I mean, I, I hate to disabuse people of that notion, but with Len's death, that wasn't true. Thousands upon thousands of people suffered because of that from from Bias's death and, and also Don Rogers death. Congress took up legislation for mandatory minimums for drug offenses that were disproportionately affecting African-Americans and countless uh, African-American men and, and women, but mostly African-American men, went to, went to prison for ridiculously long and unfair sentences due to that legislation. And, and it was wrong. And lives were ruined over that. So it, 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 it wasn't just the tragedy of Bias's death. The tragedy went beyond that. And those federal sentencing guidelines and mandatory minimums made no sense at all. And, and they were wrong then and they are wrong now. And that, that was sort of my point in that. And, and I, I, there, there are times when, when even though well-intentioned, our government and uh, you know, the NCAA, all these governing bodies can be profoundly wrong. And, and that was profoundly wrong. And, and Bias's death was used uh, in that regard to ramrod through that legislation. And, and it, it I, I believe, and I don't think I'm alone in this, I think there are countless people that agree with this, that, that it did, it did uh, incalculable damage to the African-American community. Jay, I grew up in the DC area and I actually was at, I went to Maryland basketball camp when Bias was there and Jay Bias, you know, was there, his brother right. was there. And um, I actually was at Len Bias's final senior game. And one thing you, I think it ties into what you're saying is people forget the University of Maryland is really in the, is in DC metropolitan area. This was on the news every night, the investigation, Brian Tribble, the whole thing. And I think that played into the federal because these politicians are seeing it. It's not happening in Dallas. It's not happening in Chicago. It's happening every night on the news they were seeing and on the front page of the Washington Post. So I agree. I think it played, I think it totally played into it. And, the, and quite frankly, the dismantling of the Maryland program, which took, you know, 15 years and Gary Williams coming in to, 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 to bring back. Um, and it's still, for those of us of a certain age, it's still a cloud and, you know, that hovers over that program. Yeah, John, that's a good point. I mean, uh, you know, just look at John Slaughter lost his job right. over at Lefty Drizel, the, the, the athletic director. I mean, it was, 
it was an awful situation. Um, and, and, but, you know, I know it was, it seemed localized to DC, but it was really a national and an international uh, event. Right. And I mean, people still talk, I think for our generation, uh, you can mark time kind of like our parents' generation did with the Kennedy assassination. Mm -hmm. you know, everybody remembers where they were when they found out Len Bias had died. Right. And he was that sort of an athlete. And, uh, and people were, you know, being drafted number two by the Celtics. And, you know, people were expecting Jordan-esque things out of mm -hmm. him. And I think he would have delivered Jordan-esque things. Uh, that's how great he was. And, and uh, uh, it's still, I mean, it's still difficult. There's it, been a lot of time, but every year, every time I watch one of those sort of 30 for 30s on bias or the anniversary of his, his death comes up, um, you know, I get emotional about it. It's still very fresh for me um, because of, you know, how close we were, you know, we, he and I were not close friends. We got to be, be friendly uh, in the last probably three months of his life. Uh, when we played in a lot of these all-star games and, and the like, but um, my friends were really good friends with him. So, and playing against him all those times, we were the same year in school. Uh, there, there's just something about that, that, that will never go away. It'll never right. be dulled. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way. Oh yeah, totally. Jay, um, you, you liken it to Kennedy? The way we mark time, like my right. parents, when I was a little kid, so Kennedy was assassinated a month before I was born. Right. In 1963. So I heard forever uh, my parents and their friends, all of them talked about how they heard about it, where they were. Everybody remembered it, you know, and there there, there really aren't that many things that you can remember. Like for, for, for my kids, 9-11, um, they remember, mm -hmm. you know, people remember where they were in 9-11, exactly what they were doing. And I'm not trying to equate the things. I'm just no, saying I, for, I for my age. Right. But um, he, Here's what I wanted to sort of massage that into, and it, it might be round peg, square hole, but we're, we're kind of talking about um, life events with really big impact. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I, don't, I don't disagree with the, with the comparison at all. Um, and and, and I wonder how do we, I think it, it, in Bias's case, it tells us something about sport that maybe we normally just talk about, but don't often have a really significant example of. It's impact how great an impact sports can have. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I don't know, I don't know how our, our, you know, my kids would look at this, but I was, I was really moved by the outpouring of emotion when Chadwick Boseman died recently. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you could say it's the same thing, uh, but, but I did not know Chadwick Boseman was ill. Bias's death was, was like Superman dying. You know, it just, it didn't seem real to me. Right. Uh, because that's how, that's how bigger than life bias was uh, to me. And I think to everybody else, um, like, you know, I get a lot of questions. I'm sure you guys do too, from, from younger people that know of him, but didn't see him play. They see kind of, you know, the old video of him, and they're going, was, was he really that good? And you're like, yeah. Like if you if you dropped him into an NBA game, if you dropped 1986 Len Bias into an NBA game now, you would have your jaw on the floor. Uh, he would fit into today's NBA incredibly well with his athleticism, and he was a great shooter. He wasn't a good shooter; he was a great shooter. Uh, so you know, look, it, it, it 
it's just a uh, sports in our culture has always been a big deal, but for some reason, bias, bias struck a chord in even casual fans that, that most players never could. And uh, uh, it, it, he was an extraordinary talent and, and, you know, one that obviously was gone way too soon. You're listening to the Sports Deli Special Edition with ESPN's college basketball analyst, Jay Billis. For Coach K and Dr. J, this is Hootie Hoot. And now back to the Sports Deli and the interview with ESPN's college basketball analyst, Jay Billis. But Jay, are we, are we in the midst of another um, impactful piece here society-wise in terms of, you know, um, Colin Kaepernick, uh, the outspokenness of LeBron James, what he's doing to empower voting. Are, are we in a similar situation, but we're, we're in it and maybe we won't see it until we're able to kind of look back on it? Or do we see it? Uh, well, I, I think, I, I feel like I see, see it. But um, so to me, Colin Kaepernick is, is a hero, but he has, he, he's a hero in the same way that John Carlos and Tommy Smith were heroes. And so this has been, this has been protested and pointed out for a long, long time. I think that the key issue now is not what are African-American athletes or African-Americans going to do. It's what is white America going to do? Like, is white America going to admit that, that there are racist policies, that, that racist governmental policies that have led to the, the systemic issues that African-Americans have been facing forever and face today? Uh, I don't think that should be that difficult for white America to do, that we shouldn't have a problem admitting to redlining and predatory lending and discriminatory housing and, you know, the governmental issues that, I mean, racism has been codified in law. Mm -hmm. And there's a great book that I read recently uh, called The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. And I'd recommend it highly to anyone that, that really sort of in an academic way sets out the systemic racism in our society and how our society really is, uh, it, it's really de jure segregation by, by, uh, by not only federal, but state and local laws and ordinances and zoning laws. And um, so I think that's really the biggest issue is we, we've got a reckoning now. It's, it, it, and I hear it all the time, people saying, okay, well, after the protests, what are they gonna do? As if it's their problem and no, it's, our problem. It's America's problem. And the issue isn't what are they going to do? It's what is white America going to do? And, uh, and there's a lot we have to do. But the first thing we have to do is, is, is admit, you know, no, no one's asking, like, I, I haven't heard anyone asking uh, white America to feel guilty. They're, they're asking them to acknowledge there is a problem and work together to solve the problem. And that's not asking very much in my, my judgment. There wasn't an outcry initially for African-Americans to have uh, white people admit this is a white problem and be a voice for them. That just sort of uh, happened, you know, on its own and as it should have. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, I think it's kind of obvious that, that uh, but it's never happened know, before, this type of outpouring from white people. And that's the, the that, part that, that everyone thinks true. is hopeful. Yeah, that's a very, that's a very good point. Uh, maybe there, there's more awareness now, but there's still significant pushback, right. which I find remarkable. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm, I understand pushback that is out of ignorance, you know, and I don't mean ignorance is a bad way, but just not fully grasping what's going on, because it does, it, it, maybe for some people it does require 
getting out of sort of their their white suburban bubble and and uh, you know sort of learning more and reading more and listening and all that. Um, but you know, it's not. It's almost kind of odd to to hear people say say, well, you know, we need to listen. They're like, well, what what have we been doing this whole time? And when you hear people, and I'm not saying this is a political statement, I'm just saying this more as a, we see this all the time, and, and so asking what it means. When you hear someone say, make America great again, the first question you have is, well, when was America great in, in your judgment? And you know, so, so it sounds like we wanna go back instead of <laughs> moving forward. And, and I think we have to move forward with an acknowledgement that we have significant issues that we need to correct uh, so that there's equality for all. And to me, equality for all should not scare anyone. That's, that's, the, that's, those are the principles upon which this nation was founded. Like everybody and voting it, shouldn't scare anyone. No, it shouldn't scare anyone. Right. And, you know, it's the idea of the best, let the best ideas win. And, and you know, why, why would we tolerate a, a society that is, that, that is not equal for all, that there's not equal protection under the law, that we don't all uh, get, this, get equal treatment from law enforcement or the, the criminal justice system, whatever it may be. You know, and I guess, I guess this, this sounds very political, but I don't think it's political. I think it's foundational. You are in the sports deli bubble, listening to Jay Billis from ESPN college basketball analyst. And now back to the interview with Jay Billis. Jay, do you think that this beam that we're talking about is a beam that we also shine a little bit on the NCAA? And, and if we do shine that same beam, how much of it? Is this a similar problem, uh, not admitting that there's an issue? Uh, well, it's just different. Um, I mean, I think it's a, an issue of fundamental fairness in a business context that, that, you know, all I've really ever asked for is for college players to have the same economic rights as literally everybody else, including every other student they're on campus with that are non-athletes that also get scholarships and that also get stipends. So they're also allowed to earn or accept whatever they can in the marketplace without compromising their, uh, their status as a student or compromising their status in their chosen field, whether it's extracurricular or otherwise. Right. Um, so that, that's really been it. I mean, it, you know, it, it's interesting in this time now, I've seen a lot, you know, the NCAA made an announcement the other day that they're they're furloughing basically their entire organization outside of upper management, uh, and then every you know they're also taking pay cuts and all that stuff. So there's like a six to eight week furlough for employees there, and you know so I've seen other people, uh, you know, other people in my sort of my job, my colleagues say, well, you know, people bag on NCAA policy, but these are great people and they're hurting, and and I agree with that. Nobody wants to see anyone furloughed. But it seems like, you know, we're in our, our sports bubble, too. You know, the airline industry is furloughing a lot of people that and some of them are coming back. In fact, a lot of them are coming back. Restaurant industry is on its knees. Uh, you know, you've got all kinds of different sectors of our economy that are on their knees. And so this is not just happening to sports. It's happening everywhere. And nobody wants to see it happen. But those are separate issues from from how the, how the businesses run and whether players have the same rights as everyone else. I don't care whether college sports makes, you know, uh, $10 million or, or 14 billion, which it makes 14 billion. Wow. Um, athletes deserve the same economic rights as everybody else. That, that, that to me, that's not controversial. It's, it, that's another foundational principle. What's the point of being a commissioner of the NCAA 
if you can't institute universal policies for safety of all the student athletes. So my example being, why is it not okay? And I know everything's the different conferences, but why, how can you explain it to a lay person why Maryland shouldn't be playing, is not playing football this year, but down the road at UVA, they are playing football when you're basically in the same region. And, it, and, and then, I mean, it's basically the NCAA's job basically to take money and decide where teams are going to be seated in any type of tournament from tennis to basketball. Is that basically what we've gotten down to? Basically, yeah, the NCAA uh, runs championships and they also admit, you know, they also uh, deal with uh, the rules that the membership makes and, and enforcing those rules, promulgating and enforcing those rules. So they're, they're really an administrative body in a lot of ways. Uh, so, but the, the problem I have with it is sort of the lack of accountability uh, in the system. And so on one hand, when the NCAA does something that they're proud of, then the NCAA president, whoever that may be at, the, at a given time, jumps up and says, look what I did, or look what we did. But then when something, they're, they, they're not able to accomplish something, they say, well, this is like the United Nations, we're a bunch of different countries running around, and uh, it's like turning a battleship around, they've used uh, for, as an excuse for the glacial pace. And in the pandemic, and look, th this is an, um, it's not a precedent, it happened 100 years ago, but, but it's, an un it's unprecedented in our lifetimes, let's put it that way. Nobody's saying these are easy things for the NCAA to do or accomplish, but with your specific example of, you know, the Big Ten and also the Pac-12 deciding not to play football or fall sports and the other three major conferences going forward along with the American Conference and then some other, other schools doing it, uh, it seems like there's a, a huge disconnect. So the problem I had with it or the criticism I would have is there's not a, uh, uh, there's no coordination or cooperation among the conferences that could be coordinated by the NCAA. And the, they all have their different, you know, medical panels that they brag about, but nobody tells us what the medical panels are saying. You know, mm -hmm. the Pac-12, after they made the decision, said, well, here's the basis of it, and here's some of the things that were said, but we're not hearing things that could help educate the public. And I think these, you know, you know these, these uh, conferences and universities have a, they're federally funded. They, they, have, a, they have an obligation to, uh, I believe, to, to educate the public, and especially in this sort of environment. And, and so the last thing I'll say on this is, is here's one of the ways I think the NCAA really fell down here is, is Mark Emmert and his board of governors have their own panel of medical experts. They have not shared one thing their experts have said, not one. And, and if they are being told that moving forward with football or fall sports is irresponsible or not advisable, it shouldn't be left up like, look, the conferences, the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12, they may have the authority to go ahead anyway. But that doesn't mean that you don't stand up, you know, and use that bully pulpit and say, our experts say this is irresponsible. Our board of governors is united in, in saying that it is irresponsible. And we do not think this should happen. That's what leadership looks like. And we haven't seen any leadership from the NCAA in this. So I, I hate to say it because, you know, they did a great job in, in dealing with uh, in March dealing with the cancellation of the tournament. Um, you know, it could have been coordinated a little bit better here and there, but those are small things. You know, the credit where credit's due. They did a good job there. They have not done a good job since then. And, and the, only, the only thing, I promise you this, the only thing they will do a good job on is they will figure out a way to have the NCAA tournament. They are, they are working yeah. on that, and they will figure it out. They're really good at putting on events. And they'll figure, like, 
you know, at first there was no class, no, no students on campus, no college sports. Okay, they backed off of that. And then it was, these are amateur athletes, we can't have bubbles. Now we're gonna have bubbles. Like they're backing off, every, and they should. They shouldn't let optics be a problem here. We already know the players are pros. You know, they shouldn't worry about like putting them in a situation where, oh no, Jay Billis will say they're pros if we do this. They're pros anyway. Right. So let's do the right thing and not worry about the optics. And but but they'll figure out a way to have the tournament. I'm confident of that. Interesting comments by Jay Billis of ESPN talking about the fact that the college basketball season is going to happen and that the NCAA tournament in most uncertain terms is going to happen as well. You are listening to an interview with ESPN's college basketball analyst, Jay Billis. And now back to the interview. I got to make a call real quick, guys. Does that mean you're coming back? (laughs) John has left the building. (laughs) Boy, what would a podcast in the Sports Deli be without John exiting stage right in the middle of an interview with ESPN's Jay Billis? Oh, my God. We make sure we got to get the this and that in, Gordon. So make sure you. Yeah, uh, Jay, we we have to break to you that Mike has a segment that we have uh, tolerated uh, <laughs> that, that he's he's going to do at the end. Where so we'll just bear with us and keep your seatbelt. I'm off. good with it. Whatever you uh, need. Uh, um, question: I, I've read. You know, there, there was an article online. It was, I think, entitled something like Seven Things According to Jay Billis." to that players compensation uh and and i read it pretty thoroughly and it's the first cogent piece that i've really been able to find because i I always wondered like how would it happen and and i I thought that was well done kudos not that that means much but here's what i wanted to ask about about that if in the post-apocalyptic ncaa framework we're we're paying players and i'm for it i'm for the the division of um, of revenues in, in one way or the other. Does Kenny Blakeney still get to sign McCor Maker at Howard? And for those of you that are unfamiliar with him, uh, this is one of the top high school recruits in America that signed with a historical black college, Howard University. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, I don't see any, any reason why um, resources couldn't be marshaled to attract uh, uh, the same players you're getting now. I mean, Really, the way if competitive balance is an issue, the way to, to deal with that first and foremost is just roster limits. That you have roster limits on your teams, and then you, you have you have talent spread around. I think one of the things that that in order to have competitive balance, that college basketball needs to do, football is already doing it, but is just have have uh, fewer teams that are Division One or whatever division, whatever you want to call it, like a super division, and and it makes it, it's really simple math. That if you have fewer teams, you know, on at the highest level, the overwhelming majority of players are going to want to play on that level. The best players are going to play on that level. So you'll be able to spread more talent over fewer units. So you'll have greater depth on all these teams. Uh, so if you do have players go pro, you do have players that uh, that transfer or whatever, you'll be able to weather that a lot better. Um, it, it'll just make the entire enterprise better. But for some reason, you know, in college basketball, we think that that 353 Division One teams is a good thing. You know, we've got this pipe dream that everybody can be Gonzaga or something, and it doesn't make any sense. Um, so if you're really going to run it the right way, I don't think we're doing that. And just because we have a great tournament where 
the overwhelming majority of teams in Division One have no shot of getting in the tournament nor winning when they get there. You know, why are we doing it that way? We shouldn't. Um, but, you know, reasonable minds can differ as to what they want there. But, you know, really, like one of the things about uh, sort of the free market and to your point about about McCormaker going to, to Howard, first of all, that's, that's a, a crazy outlier. But, you know, just take advantage or take, it, for example, Wichita State. Like Wichita State has zero chance of getting any of Kansas's recruits. Yeah, you know, they're not going to get any of them. So, but if they could pay, Wichita State as their top recruit would be able to pay more uh, than Kansas could pay to their third recruit. So they'd have a be- they'd really have a better chance to attract talent that way. And uh, uh, you know, now look, there are some that say under no circumstances should a school be able to pay a player. I happen to disagree with that, but you know, if people don't want to do that, you know, you could do it via name, image, and likeness, but there's no way that, that that's only going to be, they're going to be able to do name image like this, you know, like your second semester and they're not, it's not going to be in recruiting. It's going to be part of recruiting and you guys see it as much as I do find a media guide now for, for a, a you know, a, a decent team in division one media guides used to be for the media. They are not for the media anymore. Media guides are for recruits. And so every, everyone has a section in there about all the pros that they've had. And now it, it's not even enough that they say, look at all our pros. They say, here's how much money our pros are making. So they get, you know, Duke or Kentucky or whatever. Our pros are making X billion dollars since, since such and such a date. Um, and they're going to do the same thing with name, image, and likeness. Yeah, Alabama's going to be able to say, hey, look, we, can't, we don't know what you're going to make, but I'll tell you what, last five years, our quarterback has made this. And, uh, and that's going to be part of recruiting. And it should be. Um, wh- why is money not, not a, a factor for, for anyone? You know, it's a factor for everyone in the world except for a college athlete. Uh, and, and boy, but if we flash $5 to a college athlete, they're going to they're gonna turn away from the best situation to chase that $5. That's stupid. That makes no sense. Uh, you know, Coach K has been offered a ton of money to leave Duke, and he hasn't done it. So you don't make decisions solely based on money. Um, but if somebody wants to, they should be allowed to. Um, just like, just like you know, the NCAA wants to believe that that every athlete makes their decision on what the best academic situation is, and they don't. You know, they look at like the the players at Clemson. No, no, no disrespect to Clemson, but they didn't put up those ridiculously lavish facilities because the players are going there based on academics anyway. Uh, and same thing for Alabama or Duke or whatever. John is back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, the, Duke isn't not building those nice facilities because their their library is going to carry the day. They're doing they're not it looking at the four good for recruiting. Yeah, they're not looking at the four plus one programs, the undergrad yeah, graduate programs. Yeah. I mean, and that's just, and that's not disrespectful. That's no. just the way it is. Right. So Jay, uh, I think I yeah, I think I speak on behalf of all of us. If we hope, if you ever want to pursue the position of president of the NCAA that you that you would be an amazing person in that position. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, think they want me in there. Well, that's, that's a good thing. All the more reason you're, to <laughs> well, you, your whole life pretty much has been the unexpected. So who, you never know, but I, I wanted to ask you about working with Digger and, and, and Dick and some of the other amazing people that you've been able to go into other locker rooms and, watch coaches over the last few decades. And uh, I just, I love listening to you. I know I speak on behalf of a lot of people. It's not just the way that you come across, but 
I just love to hear, you know, what you've learned from all of these experiences outside of law and, and being, being a coach and, and being in the broadcasting business. Yeah, that's been the, really the joy of, of the job. Um, look, like being a broadcaster, number one, it's like Disneyland. I mean, you get to go to games all the time. It, it's just, it, it's what you grew up loving. So even though there's no competitive aspect to it, I know there's not a win or loss after each game, um, you're around it. And, and I love it. And so one is the people I work with. So to be able to work with people, and you mentioned Digger and uh, Digger Phelps and Dick Vitale, who were, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of, uh, of, of ESPN basketball for me, um, they're not only friends, they're, they're, they've been great mentors and, uh, and great role models. I mean, there's not been a better, better broadcaster than Dick Vitale and and Digger Phelps was a, a mainstay and, and was a, a real mentor to me when, when uh, I, I met Digger when I was in, in college. Um, and so we were, we were close from the time I was, you know, 19 years old until now. And, uh, and I love him like a family member. Uh, he is a family member to me. Uh, but, but also being able to work with, with uh, Reese Davis and Seth Greenberg and, uh, you know, I've had the honor of working with uh, with Jalen Rose and Jay Williams, Lafonso Ellis. So they're, they're you just can't. They're not better people there, uh, out there. Um, but the coaches you mentioned, like that's one of the great things is, you know, I learned the game a certain way, and and the game the, the way I learned it was awesome, and I would not choose a different way of learning it. But this job has helped me understand that there are different ways of doing it and still doing it right that I've been to, I don't know, maybe a hundred North Carolina practices over the years, maybe more. And, you know, if I could have played for Roy Williams, he would recruit me, but I would have loved to have done that <laughs> just because, I mean, it, it's such a wonderful way to play. And it's different from the way Coach K does it. And his practices are different. And it's delicious that because the difference is delicious. I would have loved to have played for Tom Izzo. Um, and Jay Wright and Mark Few and um, mm. you know Bill Self, all these different coaches that you get to you get to see, and you know I got to I, I got to watch John Cheney work at five thirty in the morning, and uh, and you know John Thompson, and got to know he just passed away, but got to know Coach Thompson, and then his son JT three, who was a, a rem remarkably good basketball coach. And, you know, because he followed in his dad's footsteps, um, some people might think his record was diminished. But, I mean, he won Big East championships, went to the Final Four in 07. I mean, that guy's a great coach. Uh, so being able to see all the different ways of doing it, or Gary Williams at Maryland, uh, I got to be really good friends with Gary. And there's not a coach out there I respect more than Gary Williams. Um, I used to love going to his practices and, uh, and, and watching him in games. And then as soon as the game was over, like Gary's a crazy person competitive. And, but as soon as the game was over, maybe as, as, as good a sportsman as you're going to find, you know, wow. would, would give credit where it's due. Um, you know, I mean, he wanted to win as much as anybody, but on the rare occasion when he lost, he was a great sport. He was like Nicholas that way. You know, he, he, I, I, I love Gary, but, but they, that's a joy of me to, they, they've taught, those coaches have taught me so much. Uh, I'll be forever grateful for having been in this very fortunate position to be able to, where they let you into their practices and meetings. And mm. uh, I mean, help, you know, I've had coaches that, you know, let me into their game plan meetings uh, when they're playing Duke 
<laughs> and you know they know I went to school there, and uh, and it doesn't. You know they know I, they know I don't care who wins. You know I, I'm too old for that crap. But um, <laughs> but it's just a it, it's a joy to to be able to watch people work in that environment, and uh, and I'm really grateful for that. Well, Jay, you you come across as a highly ethical man, and that might be part of the reason why people might give you access where they might not give someone else. Well, I got them fooled, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> All we, right. Anything we, else, Gordon? No, I think, I mean, there, we, I, I feel like we could ask questions ad nauseum. We'll do our, our this or that and um, tell you that we really appreciate what you've shared with us. And we wanted to try to bring some stuff out that maybe um, hadn't come out before and go maybe to some places that, um, but, you know, with a guy who's been interviewed a hundred times a week, as I'm sure you are, that's pretty tough. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the time and Mike is going to. Oh, it's been great. All right, folks, put your seatbelts on. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. It is time for This or That, featuring ESPN's college basketball analyst, Jay Billis. All right, uh, This or That. I know Dan called it something else, but we'll, we'll give it a whirl. <laughs> bell bottoms or lava lamp? Bell bottoms. I wore bell bottoms in the 70s when I was a kid. And uh, actually, corduroy belt, Levi corduroy bell bottoms. Wow. Well, because you don't like skinny jeans, we found that out recently. No, I do not. I need a little room. (laughs) All right. Let's get right to this one. Jordan or LeBron? That's a hard one. Um, I'll I'll say Jordan, but it's a hard decision because I saw LeBron in high school. And uh, uh, there's nobody – let's put it this way. There's no other player I would hesitate on, and I'm hesitating. Uh, That's how great LeBron is, that I would hesitate. Mike, before you ask the next one, we should should mention – Jay, you, you feel very strongly that the best college basketball player ever was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Not close. Yeah, it's not close. Yeah. Um, and I, I cannot understand how anybody could look at that and come to a different conclusion. Like well, ESPN did that. You, I you can know. tell you how. They didn't play. <laughs> That's yeah, but I mean, I don't even think you need to play. You just have to have a functioning gray matter. Like, Kareem was the best ever. Well, Jay, there are a lot of people that don't seem to have functioning gray matter these days. Go ahead, Mike, pick it up. So if LeBron wins two more rings, is, is, does that put him over the top? Not necessarily. I mean, I don't, I don't think it has to do all with championships because, uh, you know, Jordan won six out of eight in, the, in you know, the, the two that he didn't win. He wasn't there for one of them, and he was only there for half a season of the other. But um, – yeah, I, I just think the full body of work for Jordan is is you know a hair over LeBron, but it's only a hair. Yeah. And you know, I think Jordan would have been just as great in today's game, and LeBron would have been just as dominant in Jordan's day. I just the only regret you, you have is that they didn't play against one another. Um, yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. Totally. Vacuum or dishes? Uh, dishes. Yeah, I don't want anything wow. where I have to bend down anymore. I'm tired of. You're, you're the first one. Like, to, you're the first one to say dishes. I'd rather do dishes because, well, first of all, it meant I ate something good. I think he's also the first guy six ten we've talked to, so that might have to. Be <laughs> with it. I wish I was six ten. The Zen Master or Bill Belichick? Uh, I go Zen Master. I, I I don't know that I've ever I've been a I've been in the same room as Bill Belichick, but I don't think I've ever met him. Uh, but. Um, for some reason, uh, I think I would fare better with Phil Jackson's uh, Zen than I would with uh, with sort of the cold shoulder of Bill Belichick. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at Although that. Although I love Saban. <laughs> Saban and Belichick, yeah. uh, 
That's true. If I could play for any coach in any sport outside of Coach Bay, I would choose Saban first. <laughs> that wow. guy is the real deal. From a motivational standpoint or just all of it. attention to detail? All of it. Yeah. Wow. He'd hate me as a player because <laughs> I wouldn't be able to satisfy his standards. But um, I've had a, an opportunity to be around him a little bit. And, uh, and if Alabama football recruited me, it would be a three second decision before I said, yes. I mean, it, 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 he is the real deal. So not uh, Seth Greenberg. <laughs> Seth, Seth would require a little more thought. Uh, but he, Seth is great. But yeah, Seth, Seth, well, I would not play for Seth in football. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> All right. Uh, banana bikes or roller skates? Oh, banana bikes. I had a Schwinn uh, banana bike with the uh, sort of the um, chopper handles in the uh, early 70s, probably 1972. I got that. It was yellow. Uh, banana seat. It was awesome. Happy days or cheers? Cheers. Although I watched a lot of happy days. That was a good show for a while. And then it got corrupted. Yeah, it did. Charles Barkley or Carl Malone? Uh, Barkley because he's a better commentator. <laughs> right. oh, and Malone is heavily armed now. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I see Carl every year at the uh, the Wooden Award, and he what a good dude. Uh, we're, we're, he, we're the same year in school. He came out a year early out of Louisiana Tech, but uh, still, I mean, still intimidating. And uh, and he's got he's got uh, on his on his farm. He actually has weapons. So I'd be maybe I should choose him so he won't take a shot at me. <laughs> Probably a better golfer. Uh, than Charles. Yes. You know, Charles yes. used to be really good. Uh, I don't know what happened, but he, uh, wow. he played in that celebrity event in Tahoe and birdied his final hole, which is huh. kind of cool. He, he, he's gotten a lot better. We think whoever was working with Shaq on his free throw shooting might have also worked with Charles on his swing. <laughs> yeah, it's some sort of post-traumatic stress issue. I don't know what happened, <laughs> you know, what happened to him. Uh, but, um, but he used to be a very good golfer. And then something happened, and I don't know what he just keeps. He goes like, uh, like those old baseball players, like Steve Sachs or something, when he couldn't throw to first wow. base from second for a while. Right. Your best imitation of Jeezy. I can't imitate Jeezy. Um, Bust out a lyric. Uh, summer's mine, winter two, popping bottles in the club. That's what winners do. <laughs> there we go. All right. You as an alien cop and I come in peace, or Will Smith and Men in Black? Oh, me by far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised. I mean, that was a, uh, that, that movie came out in 1989 and I still think it's the most egregious mistake that the, uh, motion picture, uh, Academy ever made, not nominating me and giving me the Oscar. Cause it was a spectacular performance. Not as good as in white shadow. Gordon is referencing the television show, the white shadow that Jay Billis was also in. Uh, it's comparable, but that would have gotten me the Emmy, the, the television Emmy. Um, and so I would have been, I would have been, you know, all I would have needed was the Grammy and the Tony, which would have been pretty easy to get once I had the first two. You guys should all count yourself lucky. I didn't wear my official Carver basketball tank top for this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, that's a long time ago. But yeah, that was fun. I was only 16 when we did that. That was my whole team was on that. My high school team. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. We were the Oak Ridge, the Oak Ridge team where uh, one of the Carver players transferred to this, you know, I think I seemed like a private school type deal. And so we, we, that was, that was my, all my high school friends. Wow. All right. Two more, uh, Mickey Mantle or Derek Jeter. Uh, I'd go Mickey Mantle, uh, because he won the triple crown twice. Mm -hmm. And if he hadn't injured himself, he would have, he would have broken every record in the book. He was, you know, speed, 
glove. He has five tools. You know, he was, yeah. he was the real deal. I would say him, but that was another close call. And All plus right, so that's a hard decision. Cause I, I'm a Dodger fan and can't stand the Yankees. <laughs> All right. Well, this is the last question. You got to think real hard about this one before we let you have the floor for anything else that you want to share with us. Now that you've gotten to know Gordon and myself, we both teach yoga. Oh, here we if you're going to take a yoga class, who would it be with Gordon or me? Uh, I would probably sort of feign injury and get out of it completely. Smart I man. just, I don't want to look at that. I'm not interested in that. Could I do it backwards where you guys are in the back of the class and just shout out what to do? Because I do take yoga with my wife. I, we, we, I go with her. You tried it. Uh, and I'm, I'm excellent at happy baby. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's good that you're going. Yeah, I have to go. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to touch my toes anymore. Right. Well, you well, just wasted on the young, Jay. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Well, is, is there anything else that you haven't talked about in any of your uh, infinite uh, wisdom with your uh, interviews with anyone? I know John Thompson just passed and Lee Olson. You talked about that a lot recently. You know, Nolan Richardson was another guy. You mentioned John Chaney. We also lost lot. Morgan Wooten this year. Morgan Wooten. Yeah, yeah. What, what a nice man Morgan Wooten was and a great coach. He coached a, a number of guys that I played with. And Yeah, Kenny. I uh, think Kenny Blakeney was there. and uh, Kenny Blakeney, Danny Ferry, uh, right. you know, but he was, what a great coach and, and couldn't have been a nicer person. My son used to go to his basketball camp up in, uh, it was at, uh, it was at Frostburg State, I think. Oh, because oh, my wife is from. Yeah, my wife is from Cumberland, Maryland. So okay. uh, they would spend part of the summer up there with uh, her mother. And so my boy would go to Morgan Wooten's camp. And uh, he, I still have a picture of my son and Gary. Gary was up there speaking. And he took pictures with some of the campers. And my son was wearing like a Duke t-shirt and, uh, and really pissed <laughs> Gary off pretty good. So that was fun. That was nice. That's crazy. I went to Frostburg for graduate school. That's so Did you really? Yeah. Well, any last words for the good of the cause? We really appreciate your time. I know it's been a long time, but wow, what, a, what an honor it's been. No, it was just it was great being with you guys. The honor was mine. And, uh, and always, uh, I, th I thought there'd be, when you said deli, I thought there'd be some sort of sandwich that went along with this. It's kind <laughs> we, of we've actually FedExed that to you. We can't. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a whole COVID <laughs> thing, Jay. It's a whole COVID <laughs> thing. When, when we break out, that we, we're, we're out of the COVID. You can yeah, we don't have the Grubhub budget. I'm sorry. You're going to have to keep, day ground. keep the yeah, box exactly. in the garage for three or four days until it uh, <laughs> decompresses or whatever it has. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. Well, we hope to hear you uh, during the college basketball season. We know it's going to be different. Um, but I uh, hope there is one. Yeah. Are you missing it, Jay? Yeah. I mean, my, the rhythm – Rhythms are completely off. Like I've been watching NBA games and loving it, but at the same time you're going, it's September. Right. And uh, so, you know, I think that's part of the reason I'm sure that ratings are, are off a little bit. And, uh, but I mean, you know, usually I would have been done with the NBA draft in uh, late June and I'm still working on it. And uh, we're not going to have it until middle of October. Uh, and I'm sure it'll be in the sort of virtual uh, sense where we'll, we'll be in different spots like the N NFL draft was. So that'll be, that'll be different. It's just sort of your rhythms are off. You guys are all doing the same thing. Like yeah. my wife and I were laughing the other day. We've never, we had never gone, this has been six months, five months now, but probably three months. We'd never gone 60 days in a row where we'd never been apart. And, and we've done that through that. We've done way longer and we, it's been great. But, uh, but it's been an adjustment. Uh, you know, I haven't been on an airplane. We, we, don't, go, we yeah. don't go out much. Um, 
so our our closets are really clean. Well, you a lot of a lot of work around out, the house. Find out one of two things in your relationship: you either find out that you really do like each other, you made a great choice, or, or well, not. And but the problem is with that is you can um, you can have both. Like I found out I made a really good choice and she found out she made a really bad. <laughs> That's not true, Jay. Funny, but not true. So with the first know. pick I can in get the... her I can get her up here to answer that. <laughs> so with the first pick in the NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select I think they'll probably take Anthony Edwards. Yeah. Um, from Georgia. From Georgia. Uh, it's not this is not like a draft like we've had before where there are some no brainer picks. Um I mean, I guess every year you could say that, you know, maybe LeBron was a no brainer, but um, it's not the deepest draft of star quality NBA talent, but it's deep of really good players and uh, guys that are going to play in the league for a long time. So it'll be kind of, I think in a way, this will be a more interesting draft because, you know, we're all kind of throwing darts at the, at the board here and, uh, and pretty sure we're all going to be wrong in some capacity. So it'll be really fun. Did you well, hope did you happen to see the article uh, about your alma mater and the testing that they're doing on campus and the low number of cases? John, I think, dug something up about um, how they're handling COVID on campus at Duke. Versus Chapel I did, Hill yeah. And uh, I did. They, yeah. They've been very thoughtful about it. And it's only freshmen and sophomores on campus. And, right. You know, I, I mean, look, I, I wish everybody the best. These are hard decisions to make. Um, but, you know, look, the, college, the, the people I feel for the most in this – when you get past the, the tragic situation of, of health. So just sort of the effect of it, not, not necessarily those that have been afflicted with the, the disease itself, but um, you know, people that are in college now, uh, people in their last year of high school, and then people that are just starting their jobs out, yeah. you know, for, for me, um, you know, even though I'm, I, this obviously has affected everybody and it's all been negative. There's not, there's been very little positive. We're all looking for silver linings, but for me, you know, the bulk of, of all my ladder climbing is done. And, and for like, my kids are 25 and 23 and they're in their first jobs and then they got to deal with this and, and it, you know, it affects things. Uh, and, and I've got a bunch of friends that they're, they have kids that are finishing high school. Like my sister's got a, uh, a boy, my nephew, it's a senior year of high school and he, he might not get a high school basketball season in. Yeah. And, uh, it's going to have to make a college decision. Uh, and he, he plays and, you know, are they, is he going to be evaluated the right way? Is he going to be able to evaluate the school the right way? It's just, it's unsettling. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I feel for, I feel for those guys. Yeah. I mean, all those guys are groping. I've got a couple kids who, who should get some looks and they don't know. And they keep asking me and the coaches that I'm talking to on their behalf, they don't know either. You know, I, I talked to a couple of twos and some threes and guys are saying like, there I am sitting in Idaho with a mask on at an event. And I, I, I think to myself, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. And you know, the only thing I can come up with when I talk to talk to people and I have to remind myself of this too, is, um, you know, for, for my parents and my grandparents, um, you know, they, my, my grandparents lived through the 1918 pandemic. They lived mm -hmm. through the depression. They lived through World War II. Uh, my parents did too on the, the World War II side and they were the, born at the sort of the middle of the depression. Um, you know, like we're dealing with this and it sucks, but we're not running up Omaha beach either. 
Right. And, uh, you know, so other generations have dealt with stuff that, that is, is this difficult or more difficult and we can handle it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I try as best I can to keep, keep perspective on it. And it sounds like you guys do too, obviously. We try. Well, thanks so much for, for everything and bringing happiness to our living rooms for so many years. And we hope to have you back. This is kind of like running up Omaha Beach now that I think of it. <laughs> oh, you have no idea, Jim. <laughs> maybe the depression, maybe running up Omaha Beach during the, the, the depression. Yes. We're, we're, you know what? We're just happy to have a basketball analyst on who isn't yelling. <laughs> well, five more minutes, I will. There you go. That's right. All right, All right thanks, thanks, Jay. So much. Appreciate it, man. We appreciate right. it. Thanks Thank so much. much. All right. Stay safe. All right, okay, take too. care now. Mask up. Take care. Wow. Man, that was amazing. Good job, Gordon. John. Good job. You too, guys. Boy, we, we covered a lot of ground there. I'll say. Man. Wex, we need to come up with a catastrophe plan just in case Hoot falls under a bus or gets eaten while he's walking his dogs at the beach. I want to make sure that the show goes on and yeah. that we don't miss, you know, don't miss a beat. Do you have any thoughts about that? No, not really. No. <laughs> For those of you that cannot see this, Gordon, these are, these are actually can, color therapy glasses. Some men in black, orange color therapy. These are, color ther these are legitimate color therapy. They come in, you know, all the colors. For migraines or what? And right now I feel like my lower chakras are being properly hmm. aligned, which is, why you, Jay, which is why Jay should take class with me. He, he deferred. To, basically, he said, John. I'm just going to hang his big 6'8 ass upside down in a wall. <laughs> Good luck with that inversion. Yeah, inverting. I go to classes uh, with my wife. Oh, I bet he doesn't <laughs> stick out in a yoga class. Six with foot his eight, bell bottoms. Probably, probably wearing swag from, you know, wherever he was broadcasting <laughs> last. All right. Well, that was, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, no, I agree. And the fact that he was so generous with his time, I mean, most of the time he's with people for 20 to 30 minutes and he spent 75 minutes with us. So thanks again to Jay Billis, ESPN college basketball analyst for joining us in the sports deli for this special edition. You can find him on Twitter at J-A-Y-B-I-L-A-S at Jay Billis or on Instagram at Real Deal J. Billis. If you want to send us an email, you can do so at thesportsdeli at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at Mike Hootner or on Twitter at Michael Hootner. Again, for J. Billis, Dr. J, Coach K, this is Hootie Hoot, and you have been listening to the Sports Deli Podcast, Special Edition with J. Billis.